Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I realized that I had grown my net worth from 70K to over 700K in the span of five years. Steps that I took that a lot of people can take day to day. One of the biggest things I did was job hopping, which I know is kind of like a negative term, but I quit my way rich. And I did it intentionally in the sense that if one of two things wasn't true at a job, if I wasn't earning what I felt I was worth, or it didn't have a clear trajectory toward higher earnings and higher title and salary with that company, I was a textbook flight risk. I would be out of there as soon as the next hot opportunity <laughs> came my way. I didn't yeah. just take any opportunities. But I always took the next job, I tallied it up. I think I switched jobs seven times over those 10 years. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business. So you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to Yo Quiero Dinero. You're listening to episode 112, How to Quit Your Way to Wealth with Mandy Woodruff Santos. Mandy is an inclusive wealth-building advocate, career expert, and co-host of the popular podcast Brown Ambition. She is an award-winning financial journalist, educator, editorial leader, and content strategist who's focused on the intersection of race, wealth-building, and career. 
She co-founded the five-star rated Brown Ambition podcast in 2015, which was named Business Insider's top personal finance podcast of 2020. As a journalist, she's covered personal finance news and anchored video series for sites such as Yahoo Finance and Business Insider. In May 2021, Mandy embarked on a new path as a solopreneur, leveraging her world-class storytelling ability and savvy digital marketing experience to help brands elevate their content on multiple platforms. She recently published her free online guide called the Just Quit Toolkit, which has helped over 1,000 people learn how to quit their way rich. If the idea of quitting your way to wealth sounds enticing and you want to find out how you can leverage your career and income in a way that allows you to take a break from work or to retire early or to take the plunge into entrepreneurship, this is the episode for you. Stay tuned. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Mandy, welcome to the podcast. I'm wondering how many people start singing like, Mandy girl, you are my world when they meet you. Or is that just me? Am I the only one who made that connection? <laughs> yes. What I usually get is the, uh, what is the Barry Manilow song? Oh, Mandy. Or... But what little known fact is I was actually my real name when I'm in trouble is Abanda, Amanda Lee, because when you're Southern, you have to have two names. It's like a rule. <laughs> and actually, I think it's a great 80s song, but it's an 80s song by Boston called Amanda. And I will spare you because I have not <clears throat> formed my vocal cords yet. So I don't want to hurt myself. by. You got to save but... those for the Brown Ambition podcast intros. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's so nice to see you and talk to you. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure. Fan. Oh my gosh, thank you. The feeling is so mutual. I am watching your glow up with so much joy. So for people who haven't met you before, haven't encountered you on the interwebs, can you do a little intro about who you are and kind of what you do? Absolutely. Hi, I'm Mandy Woodruff Santos. Other than being Janice's biggest fan, I have been in the personal finance game for almost, no, now over a decade, over a decade. I started out, I got my start in personal finance journalism. So I Back in college, studied journalism when you were allowed to do that, and people thought you'd make money from it. You still can, but my career has taken a lot of different directions over this past decade, and I went from being a reporter and an on-air personality for sites like Business Insider and Yahoo Finance, and I leveraged that into a career managing content teams for financial websites like LendingTree, Magnify Money, and I did have a a huge career pivot along the way. Well, first I launched Brown Ambition six years ago. So Brown Ambition, as Janice knows, that's my podcast. I co-host with Tiffany, the budgetista. We've been doing that for six years and that's always been my little baby, my side hustle. And the other pivot for me was I did, I left corporate America 
earlier this year and I'm going full, full solopreneur. Yeah, it's been really exciting. And so now I'm, I'm in this place now. I'm not even going to pretend to your listeners. I have everything figured out, but I am, I am really happy because what, what I did over the past 10 years was I built a financial safety net so that I can figure things out. I'm not putting a lot of pressure on myself to have a title or to have the perfect business plan right now. I'm just doing what I want to do. That's how I would describe it. I'm doing things that make money, but I'm just doing things that I want to do. That's the ultimate freedom to be able to create without that pressure to succeed right away. I think that's awesome. I think another thing that you mentioned too, that's really important is you spent this past decade Building your network, which I would argue is probably the most valuable thing that people have, right? Like you can have your skills, you can be good at things, but half of this battle of just being in the right place at the right time, knowing who to talk to when it comes to the right opportunities, a lot of that stuff is very much reliant on who you're connected with. And so the fact that you're so well connected in the personal finance space, I think is a huge uh, thing that you can leverage as you continue your journey. Yeah, it wasn't as if I... I woke up and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be in the personal finance education space. I've always been here. I've just been lurking in the background and busy working for other companies. But yes, I mean, Tiffany and I, we met at FinCon 2014. We met in person at FinCon 2014. And that was, I don't know, it's like a bunch of financial nerds all together, financial blogging nerds. And that was, I realized what a great community there was there. And I always stayed plugged into that community, even while I was doing my, I was different. I was I was doing a more traditional journalist career uh, trajectory at that time, but I always stayed plugged in and I've absorbed and I've learned so, so much from everyone out there who's been creating content and helping to educate people. And I am so excited to finally get to share my own point of view, share my own voice, which I haven't been so public about these past 10 years, but I'm really representing myself and what I want to talk about. And absolutely, yes, my network is lit. I am in with a lot of people in the personal finance space, but it wasn't like I did that intentionally. I mean, you probably can relate. It's it's just, I don't want people to think that you have to treat networking like a job, but I was just nice to people and I supported people <laughs> for a long time. And it's it funny how that can go so well. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're not an asshole and people want to like talk to you, it tends to work out in your favor. Uh, right. it, it tends to. So I've kind of always focused on relationships and I'm more of an introvert too, so I don't I don't always have tons and tons of close, close friends, but I do believe in the power of leaving people with a good impression of yourself so that when you need to reach out, they're not going to remember like a negative experience and they'll actually respond to your email. Yeah. Introverts unite. I'm here too. So I'm very much of the, I'm ready to be an extrovert when I've mentally prepared for it. And then I got to come back and like recoup because too much peopling is exhausting. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm an introvert and also a Leo. So those two things are in conflict all the time. <laughs> so I feel you. I feel you. The struggle is real. Let's take a step back. So I want to know more about Mandy growing up. Did you learn about money growing up? Was this like what kind of led you towards the path that you're on today? And I know that you're biracial. So I'm curious, how did both sides of your family talk about money? Because there tends to be, I think, different dynamics depending on your cultural background. Yeah, absolutely. Uh Yeah, I learned a lot about money, as in I learned a lot about what to not to do with it (laughs) growing up. I think even more my financial identity and the way that I approach money and my mindset, even more than my race or my being brought up in the South, had more to do with the fact that my parents got divorced when I was 10 than anything else. That was a real pivotal. I mean, just that 
I guess you can call it trauma, but just that huge kind of moment in time, that marker in my personal history, it created so many conversations around finances that I never would have been probably exposed to if I was in more of like a, I don't know, normal whole home. And I'm not saying that, I mean, it was a great education, you know, having conversations about things like child support and understanding what it feels like to be 10 years old, caught between two parents who, because they're financially insecure, all they can do is think about money and what they don't have and those arguments about it and kind of feeling like you're in the middle of that. And I would say from that experience instilled in me a deep burning desire to never need money from anyone but myself and to create my own financial security so that anything down the line that could happen, whether it was divorce or separating from a partner or something like that, that I could take care of myself and my kids if I had to. And being raised by a single mom, my dad was in the picture, but my mom raised four kids largely financially on her own. And she was making 40K. She wasn't college educated. She was making 40K at her peak earning years, I think, working for a telecom company in Atlanta. And it was a struggle. It was stressful for me being a teenager and feeling like I couldn't do anything about it. There's a lot of guilt. That was even more than my race. I think one of the, the things that really formed my perception of wealth building and the importance of it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to lie. There is a clear difference between the socioeconomic status of my dad's side of the family, my dad's black, and my mom's side. My mom is white. Um, it was pretty stark, the differences. My mom's side, upper middle class, middle class, upper middle class. My dad's side, he grew up very much in poverty in Atlanta. A lot of my family lived in the projects for a long time. Some of them still do. And I was really uncomfortable moving between those two worlds, so much to the point where I just avoided family in both directions for a long time. I'm a lot better at that now, but I definitely empathize with anyone who's who feels like caught in between of those two dynamics. Yeah, that sounds like a really tough thing to navigate. And the thing that stuck out for me that you talked about was this idea where seeing that struggle up front is what motivated you to do whatever you had to do to not find yourself in that position. And I can definitely relate to that. I think it's made me very much like, I don't care if I'm married, single, whatever, like we're not going to rely on anybody for our financial stability because we just never know like what life has to throw at us. So I'm curious as you pursued your career, how did you navigate money with this upbringing that you had and with the things that you saw growing up? I don't even think I knew how to categorize it as I was interested in personal finance. From the minute I turned 15 and I can get a learner's permit or learner's permit, that's for cars, for what do you call it? You can work at 15. I don't know. You can be 15 and get a job, part-time job. As soon as I could do that, I did. I worked at The Gap through high school. I actually recently downloaded my my income statement from the Social Security office. You can do that. Anyone can do it, ssa.gov. And I saw that over the course of three years in high school, I made $10,000 working at the Gap outlet. And I'm like, but where did that money go? <laughs> right. <laughs> but but I was, I just wanted to have my own money for like teenager reasons. You know, I wanted to be able to pay for my own prom dress and go out on the weekends with my, my boyfriend and friends and things like that. And in college, I paid enough attention to know that I wanted to live off campus and get a part-time job because the cost of on-campus housing was like $11,000 a year or something like that. And I'm really proud of myself for doing that. Worked my way through college in the sense that I I worked part-time in retail. I paid my rent each month and I left with less than $10,000 in student loan debt. 
in large part because all I was paying for was tuition and I had a scholarship through the state and all that. Now, post-college, I mean, I was a recession babe. I graduated in 09 in the thick of a recession with a magazine's degree. I could not have been <laughs> less prepared for the economy or the media industry as it was that year. And what I found was my own fear around money and the idea of not having it, it helped me be resilient in ways that I think really saved my butt. I was always going to figure it out after I got laid off, even though I had one month's rent to my name and like a mattress on the floor and nothing else because I'd only been working for a couple of months. I just knew I didn't have a safety net. I knew I didn't have parents that I could expect to bankroll my next few months while I looked for work. And I just had that hustle. I just knew I had to work. Freelance work, I cobbled together until I can get a full-time job. And it wasn't the job that I loved, but I just knew you've got to just like, you've got to survive. And that survival's mm -hmm. instinct has always been something that I've carried with me. No matter what, I know that I can figure it out. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think that hustler spirit is something that a lot of people that listen to this podcast can relate to. So thank you for sharing. So recently you had a piece in a grow, which is a CNBC digital footprint. And you talked about how you grew your net worth 10x in a span of five years. How the hell does one do this? Because that was the question for me. And I'm sure a lot of people have this idea that to get to that place where you have this amount of money, you know, that's something that happens over a lifetime, not over five years. So I know that your strategic career moves have played a huge role in that. Can you talk us kind of through that trajectory? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I realized that I had grown my net worth from 70K to over 700K in the span of five years when I sat down with my financial planner and I asked Helen, I was like, Helen, you know, I'm at this career pivot. I want to do my own thing. I don't know what my own thing is going to be. I don't know if I'm going to make money at it right away, but I just feel like I need to not work for anyone else right now and just kind of focus on myself. And she shared her computer screen with me. And when I saw the numbers, it just made me feel like, holy shit, you know, I've been so focused on doing good work and making career moves and trying to make like everyone else out there, you just... You try to make the best personal finance choices with the information that you have when you have it, you know, and you never know what those choices are going to lead to. You just try to put your best foot forward. I took a moment to kind of celebrate that with my husband, like, look at us, we're doing well, let's celebrate that. And immediately as a writer, I sat down to start writing down, how did I get here? If I could put it into words to help people understand, I just knew that my story was special and different because it wasn't like I had inherited anything. It wasn't like I had invested in a hot company 10 years ago that was a huge payoff. There were steps that I took that a lot of people can take day to day. One of the biggest things I did strategy wise, even though at the time it wasn't like a strategy, was job hopping, which I know is kind of like a negative term, but I quit my way rich. And I did it intentionally in the sense that if one of two things wasn't true at a job, if I wasn't earning what I felt I was worth, or I didn't have a clear trajectory toward higher earnings and higher title and salary with that company, I was a textbook flight risk. I would be out of there as soon as the next hot opportunity <laughs> came my way. I didn't yeah. just take any opportunities, but I always took the next job. I tallied it up. I think I switched jobs seven times over those 10 years. Okay. One time, Damn, one that time is a lot. <laughs> it sounds like a lot. I thought so I job hop a lot because I left like every three years or so. That was kind of like my limit, but I mean, it paid <laughs> off for you for sure. 
well, you know, it wasn't always by choice. I was laid off one of those times. And it okay. only like I think I had three jobs in one year because I was laid off after two months, got a new job that I really hated just to make the ends meet. And then I got another job that I loved. So yeah, and I think like it's that. the nature of your career too, because like journalism, we know has a much higher turnover rate than like some other careers. Not surprising. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is a tough business. Yeah. But yeah, so when I quit, and I having been laid off, I really had this, I think the gift of being laid off very early in my career it just taught me the end of the day, I am a cog in a wheel and I can be disposed of when it's no longer necessary or when they have to meet their bottom line. I wasn't, I didn't take it personally, but I just knew I didn't have this sense of loyalty. I didn't have this sense of, I must work here because I owe them. They took a chance on me. Why would I leave my boss? We get along so well. I really learned to start putting my own needs first. And by the way, I have the hunger of a young woman who does not have a safety net who wants something better for her children, for her family. So I don't have time to worry about anyone else's professional like business goals. I really have to worry about myself and putting my own needs professionally first. That may sound like, oh, you're kind of a jerk. You're just so selfish. But I want to, I mean, I, I'm really passionate about like turning that whole perception on its head. It's okay as an individual to be focused on your own needs, your own career, and still be a very, like I was badass at all my jobs. I, I turned in great work. I did my job. I helped build teams, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I had to recognize that only me, only I would really take care of myself and my family. So leaving jobs, being willing to leave jobs to pursue higher earnings and higher and, and career potential, career opportunities for me, that was hands down one of the most powerful things I did to increase my net worth. So with each career job, or sorry, career change, opportunities for money, for windfalls, for sign-on bonuses for equity grants. Those were things that I couldn't necessarily foresee for myself five years ago, but because I was willing to quit and move on, those opportunities started to stack up. And that's a, another big reason that I was able to increase my net worth. I was going to share my favorite, lifestyle inflation. Mm. Now, you live in Florida, right? Yeah, but I right? didn't always. Yeah, you're from Jersey, right? That, yes. Yeah, so you know, it is expensive as hell. I'm as here. hell, okay. girl. Why you think I left? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm still here like, why? But it's really expensive here. And in New York, I mean, I have, for example, when I first moved to New York, I lived in a really, like, one small bedroom in a, in a house in Queens. And I literally, every year, I moved closer and closer to the train station. That's how you knew that you were moving on up. You could move closer, like your walk to the train station each morning got shorter. And I That's literally went from like 48th Street to 36th Street and then 34th Street and then 30th Street. The train was at 30th Street. And then I like made it. But every time I moved, my expenses would get so much higher. And even as I was, I was at my peak earning years, earning more than ever, well over six figures, and I wasn't feeling it. Why don't I feel wealthy? Why do I feel like I'm struggling? I feel broke. And it was because lifestyle inflation was starting to creep in. So my husband, at the time my boyfriend and I were going to get married. We've been talking about it. And I had just gotten a new job earning 145K with a 35K sign-on bonus. And I turned to him and I was like, let's move in with your parents. Why don't we do that? So we moved in with his parents. He's crazy for even letting me do that because moved in with his parents into a small apartment in Wood, New York, which is called Little Dominican Republic. So I lived there for like six months and we saved money for the wedding, our wedding and lived rent-free. And from then on, I was very adamant that our expenses, they just couldn't grow just because they could. We had to keep them well below our means so that we could save and invest. And that was a key strategy that I used as well that helped me get to that 10x my net worth. 
that's awesome advice and so practical, right? I think it's just, there's a lot of mindfulness that goes into achieving things like building wealth and just being aware of your situation. So I love that advice. I know for women, especially like we can have a hard time negotiating for what we think we deserve at work. Mm -hmm. Where did you get your negotiation skills from, girlfriend? I just have a high tolerance for fear and being (laughs) uncomfortable. I don't know what to tell you. I've just always been that person who would challenge myself to do something just because someone said that that was a thing that I couldn't do or that, Mm. oh, people don't do that. Like, I even go back to when I was 15, I had a crush on this boy. I forget his name now. We'll just call him Brian. And I saw him on the school bus every day and he was super cute. And we were both new to the school. And it was like Valentine's Day week. And I just was talking to my sister and I was like, I'm just going to ask him out. Why not? What do I have to lose? I'm new in this school. No one knows me anyway. And I just did it. And I think at 15, I had that thing that you need to ask for more. It's not like it's not like it can't be taught, but I did become very comfortable with putting myself out there. Mm. And when I didn't die, when he turned me down, which he did, (laughs) Brian had a girlfriend a girlfriend. Well, at least he was a decent guy. He didn't lead you on. (laughs) He was super nice about it. But yeah, he turned me down and I didn't die, Denise. Like I survived. (laughs) I lived to tell the tale, you know, and I approach negotiating the same way. The worst they can do is say no. And I've talked to a lot of women too, who think, oh, they've given me my offer letter. The salary is in there. I think it should be more, but it's the offer letter. This is it. The negotiation's over. It ain't over until it's over. Mm -hmm. You can call them up. I understand this so much better now that having been a hiring manager, I've hired dozens of people over my career. It takes a lot of time and energy for hiring managers and recruiters to find good candidates. And if you made it all the way to offer letter stage, they're just going to drop you because you asked for more money. It's going to cost them more money to go back to the starting line and have to recruit all over again. So you have a ton of leverage at that point. So for me, it's like high tolerance for fear. I tell women this all the time, practice asking for things. Don't wait until it's a big salary ask. Send your food back to the restaurant if it doesn't come out right. (laughs) Tell your husband you want your coffee this way if he brings it to you and it's not right. Now my husband's like, oh, Jesus Christ, he cannot keep (laughs) up with like my coffee order. But yeah, I mean, don't settle for less than what you ask for. And in these small ways, and I think that that really adds up over time. Yeah, I love that advice. (laughs) Um, Okay, so speaking of putting yourself out there, so you are now a new entrepreneur. And I'm curious if there was something or a set of circumstances in your corporate experience that made you think, I'm just tired of like not being able to show up as my full self here. And I want to be able to do that in some other form or fashion. Because I know that for me was a big impotence for wanting to take the leap. I was just kind of tired of almost living in a box or being a specific version of myself for so much of my days. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Yeah, absolutely. I consider myself very lucky. Having the benefit of hindsight right now, I look back on my the five years I spent working for a startup that was later acquired by a bigger company. And those, I had such great people around me. People who, yes, they expected me to have amazing work, but I I got pretty comfortable being myself. And because I was put into a leadership position, I could hire a team under me and around me that didn't get bothered by being managed by a 30-year-old even though I was hiring people 20, 30 years my senior in some cases. I was always, because I was given that that ability to kind of build my team, that gave me the privilege, like I said, of kind of like, what are you going to do? Tell your boss that you don't like the way that she wears her hair or you don't like that she curses in meetings? Like, I'm the boss. I can set the tone, you know? So that's just my inner control freak winning. So for me, my personality has always been very autonomous. I was that textbook, like kind of thwart authority when I was a kid, like I got good grades. What do I have to show up on time for AP chemistry class? Like that kind of attitude. And I was really lucky to find employers that would let me do my own thing. So my corporate experience wasn't all that negative, but to your point, yes, what was happening for me was I was in more senior positions. I was building teams. I was overseeing strategy. I was hiring and doing so many one-on-ones when I tell you, like, and we had two review cycles a year. So doing 12 employee reviews and compensation, it was a lot of meetings, a lot of admin stuff. And I missed my roots. I missed writing. I missed telling stories. I missed creating. And so for me, it became less about running away from something that I didn't like in corporate America, but making space for another part of me that I hadn't gotten to lean into for a while. And very much now, I still work for companies. It's not like I in my, I have a consulting business now, but the beauty of that consulting business, because I'm helping companies build content teams and strategize, I'm only doing the things that I liked about my old job. None of the one-on-ones and people organization stuff. I kind of 
I don't know. I'm like, am I getting away with it? It's, 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 <laughs> it's almost like you've unlocked the cheat code. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm really particular about not making anyone feel like having a nine to five. There's no shame in that. It's not. That is how I built my wealth. I only just started this business two months ago, three months ago. I mm -hmm. built, I got 10x my income working my way through that corporate America maze and it's doable and there's no shame in it. We can't all be badass entrepreneurs at the end of the day. You can still be a badass working for another company. Mm -hmm. Just remember to put your own needs first and make sure that it's feeding you and fueling you and helping you grow. Absolutely. Love that message. So before you did the entrepreneur thing full time, you were doing this as a side hustle. So I'm curious, did you ever have any reservations about the public nature of your side hustle? Because I know I encounter some students who in my own side hustle course who like they want to do something in personal finance, but they also work in a financial industry and there can be like conflicts of interest there. I'm wondering if you ever ran into a situation that made you question, like if you can do both at the same time. My podcast, for example, that was a side hustle for, I mean, until most recently when I now I kind of focus on that for a bigger chunk of my time than I used to. But I was working for financial services companies. And when we started to become sponsored by financial services companies through our podcast, because we talk about money, that was a concern. But I just was transparent with everybody. I know for a lot of people, it's do I tell my employer about my side hustle? I'm always in favor of putting everything on the table to start with. I don't want to be pulled aside by HR because they found something and I wasn't upfront about it. That's just the way that I always operated. Fortunately, my podcast was a tool, was a marketing tool for myself. And my employers hired me in part because I had that platform and because it demonstrated my get it done personality. I taught myself at a podcast like Janice and just freaking did it, you know? So I found that the companies I was working for appreciated that. There were, yes, I think it would have been more challenging if I was, for example, if I was a financial advisor working for like Fidelity or something like that, and then giving advice and talking about services on a podcast, potentially being sponsored by competitors, that would be really sticky. And I think you might have a big conflict of interest there. And then I think it's, in that case, trying to get to a place where everyone sort of feels comfortable I did, for example, make sure that my network when they were selling ads would avoid direct competitors with my my main company. And that was fine. I ended up, we did just fine finding other sponsors, but have those kinds of conversations was a little bit awkward. But at the end of the day, I just wanted to put everything on the table, communicate and not have anyone not set them up to think, oh, we can make a lot of money selling to these specific sponsors. At the end of the day, going to be like, oh, maybe let's not get sponsored by Dirk Wallet you know, or something like that. And I've also heard stories where like an employer has made people choose, like you either keep working here or you pick your side hustle. What advice do you have for anybody who might be confronting that? Because that's a really hard decision. It is hard. I mentioned that I was really lucky and it's because I worked for startup founders. So when I joined a startup, like that startup was their side hustle for a while. They worked in the banking industry and big companies. So they really understood the entrepreneurial spirit and the company that eventually acquired them very much as well understood that entrepreneurial spirit. There are corporations that are way less. They just, they need, they need worker bees. They don't need outliers. They don't need shit stirrers. They don't need squeaky wheels. And they, to their own, I think, detriment, they do, they freak out and they get very nervous when they feel like someone is breaking ranks or go thinking outside the box or things like that. My advice would be, that's not the company for you. 
if you can move on, move on. If you kind of feel like your your dreams, hopes, personality is constantly in conflict with your employer, that can't be a, a good space mentally to operate in day after day. So I'd be looking for another employer. I wouldn't say, unless you're financially secure and you feel like you could quit and just kind of focus on your side hustle for a while, that may not be possible for a lot of people. You may need health insurance, for example. My husband provides health insurance, so I was able to walk away a lot easier than some may from their nine to five jobs because I had that cushion. That's where it comes down to who who are you putting first there? You need to get out of there. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can find somewhere else to work. And if you bring that up early in your conversations with HR, hopefully they will. For example, you might fill out a conflict of interest form. I've done that at companies where you lay out on your table, on the table, you know, I have XYZ business and it's all up front, all out there and everyone moves forward from that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So one thing that I've noticed even within my own journey as an entrepreneur is like these limiting beliefs that we think we've gotten over tend to continue to creep up. So regardless of the success that you have either in your business or even in your career, there's this thing called imposter syndrome, which tends to show up and just make us feel like the things that we're achieving somehow are fraudulent or not merited in some type of way, or we just bamboozled somebody to give us money to do shit that we're not qualified (laughs) to do. I'm wondering if you've ever battled with any type of limiting beliefs as you've gone through your career and kind of how you've overcome those. Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, when I told you I have a high tolerance for fear and risk in terms of my career, I I would pitch big ideas and I would just tell myself the worst they can do is say no. And that was a mantra that helped me a lot, just kind of get over the fear. That's how I got my own web series at Yahoo Finance. I just pitched it and they said, okay, if you want to do all the work for it, sure. And I said, okay, I'll do, I'll write the script and all that. And then you guys just put me in front of a camera. And so that worked out for me. When I made the transition from Mandy, the reporter, writing her articles, doing her videos by herself to Mandy, the manager, there was a point, I can say this now, since it's already passed, but there was a point right before we got acquired at that company, I'd been there for about a year when I really thought about quitting because I just didn't think I was doing a good job. I didn't know why I was like, why did they hire me? I'm, I don't know how to, I'm figuring out content strategy, which is very different than just writing your articles and, you know, doing your own thing. I was managing tons of freelance writers who are a very special bunch of people and have very differing personalities. But when I went to my boss, especially when I was getting really overwhelmed and just feeling really out of my depth, he just looked at me and said, what do you need? All I need you to tell me is what you need so that you feel more in control. Do you need more budget for help? Do you need to hire an assistant? What do you need? You're not telling me what you need. You're suffering in silence. And that was a real turning point for me because I think like a lot of folks, when you're going from individual to managing, you sometimes think asking for help is going to give you away. That if you ask for help, they're going to know that you don't know what you're doing and you can't do it all yourself. But that's like telling yourself a lie. You're not supposed to do it by yourself. And being a good manager is not about taking on everything on yourself. It's actually bad for the business of the company because what happens if you leave? Or in my case, eventually I I wanted to go on maternity leave. Like you're leaving them in the lurch that way. So I really learned the antidote to imposter syndrome and to feeling like I was out of my depth was to define what I needed and ask for it. And again, luckily I had a boss that was willing to help me, give me the things that I needed, give me the tools. 
if it had been the other way, if I was being expected to do a lot with nothing, that's a toxic environment, I would have definitely been out of there. But I stuck around because the better I got at communicating what I needed, the more that weight started to lift off my shoulders. That's a really important message too for entrepreneurs because I think we can also be like very guilty of trying to do all the things because we want to be control freaks and we may not want to just admit to ourselves that we have maxed out our capacity. So asking for help looks like many different things. And sometimes it can just be like, you know what? I don't want to fucking live on social media anymore doing TikToks for 17 hours a day. I want to hire somebody to manage some of this stuff. And that's how you grow, honestly. That's how you give yourself permission to just not get burnt out continuously, just trying to do all the things. Can I add one caveat to that? Yeah. Because this is what's really helped me is I always try to do the job first so that I know what I want. Because it comes back to that question, what do you need? And I think if you hurry up and rush to bring on help early, you know, whether it's social media or an admin or whatever it may be, if you can't tell them what you want, it just kind of, then you end up just saying like, I'll just do it myself. Like I don't, I don't have time to teach you. That is not good. So for example, my social media, I'm doing TikTok myself for now because I want to figure out what do I like? What kind of tone do I want? You know, I just put out an ebook called the Just Quit Toolkit and I designed it myself in Canva so that I could figure out how that all worked. And I always edited the podcast, Brown Ambition, for years until we finally got an editor, probably way too long. I'm like, I could outsource that. But I like to figure out how things work. And then I can, it just helps me. I don't know if you agree. It helps me just dictate to the person helping me. Here's exactly what I want. And it just makes everything less of a headache. No, I absolutely agree with you. And I, I found that I was leveraging my corporate experience as an engineer, defining the processes in my business. For yeah. many years, I was like literally writing procedures, like standard operating procedures for making pharmaceutical drugs and all this type of shit. And I'm just like, I need to do the same thing for my business. Like somebody needs to understand when we put out a podcast episode, what are all the things that need to be checked off of this list? How do we onboard somebody on the team? Like, and when I got clear about how I could leverage my corporate experience into my business, like I started to understand like how important the soft skills that you learn, as well as the technical skills that you learn in corporate America that can be translated to your business. So I love that you talked about like proceduralizing what you do, because then it's much easier to translate that. I love a good process in a Google Doc. Ooh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do I have an engineer's mind? Am I a secret engineer? I yes, think I you know. are. I mean, I feel like, yeah, all entrepreneurs have that level of creativity built in because that's how you create, right? That's just, mm-hmm. you got to be good at inventing. So in this journey, as you've transitioned now, how do you think you manage your money differently than you did as somebody with a steady paycheck, right? Because that's the thing that a lot of people have concerns about is like, what do I do when I don't have consistent income now? How do I manage this? Yeah, I think for me, I think about it so much less than I did before. Because I have this financial safety net and I, I did not launch my business at zero. I launched my business with 700K in the bank, in multiple bank. I have a financial safety net and I had cash on hand to the point where I'm saying had as if it's not happening right now. Right now in this life, I have a very healthy cash cash account that we can draw from and I don't have to worry about when the daycare is gonna be debited or when the mortgage is coming out. I know it's gonna be coming out of that checking account that I have and so it makes me feel like, of course I'm chasing invoices like any other freelancer and getting my money and getting all my ACH transfers and all that kind of fun stuff. But I don't have to stress as much about what day the paycheck is coming. It just comes all kinds of random times during the week when you're an entrepreneur. That freedom is great. 
I probably could ask you a lot of questions about, you know, <laughs> do I draw a salary? Right now, I'm not drawing any salary from my earnings. I'm just like socking them away. And I know taxes are a thing that are going to happen. I know, I know I need to get an accountant, a new one, all that stuff. But that financial safety net is really giving me some freedom right now. Mm-hmm. And the other way that I've changed my, for me, like changed the way I think about money now that I'm an entrepreneur is the sky's the limit. Well, I know hanging out with Tiffany, she tells you that a lot. She tells all of us that a lot. (laughs) I know, right? So she really puts the ceiling so high for goals and ambition. But yeah, even though I was earning really, really high salaries, it has helped me to not think about that salary as much anymore. And to know that there can be months where you make 50K in one month and the next month, maybe 10K or something like that. Like you can have these big, it doesn't have to be all as consistent. And I think with my my high tolerance for fear and change and ups and downs. I'm well suited to, I think this lifestyle so far. Mm-hmm. So let's talk yeah. again in a year and see how I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely start paying yourself a salary though. Cause that's a great way to save yourself some money on taxes. And we can talk about that. Oh yeah. 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 Thank you. Yes. Um, <laughs> one thing I was going to say is I think lifestyle inflation, like keeping that in check is like even more important as an entrepreneur because you have the inconsistent income. Like it's easy to know what's coming in and out when you have a steady paycheck, but just not letting those 50K months make you think that that's what you can get used to all the time is important. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, I, yeah, I agree. All right. So I love this concept of financial self-care and I feel like you embody this idea of, you know, making sure that your money takes care of you and even when, you know, life happens. So what advice do you have for women specifically who might find themselves in like financially unstable times right now, how they can start to build that financial self-care into the daily routine? Oh yeah, that's a good question. I think it all comes down to values and this is where it's important for people to sit down with themselves and only themselves and figure out what it is that they value and actually sit down and look at how you're spending your money and how many of those dollars are going towards experiences or things that you actually value that bring you joy, that make you feel better. And I think you'll find the list is pretty small. At least I hope you find the list is pretty small and that can help you sort of, if you funnel every financial decision through that list of values, it will help you know how to spend thoughtfully and you know, put your dollars to work in ways that will have the biggest bang for your buck. You don't need a lot of money. I know early in my career, for me, it was an $8 manicure. It was a very, it was like one of these things that I could do for myself to feel good, to have some downtime. As a writer, my hands were so cramped. So getting that little hand massage, you know, an $8 manicure for me was a huge investment in my, in terms of financial self-care. For women who are on hard times, and I know there's, I've lived it. And I know, especially in this pandemic, it may feel like every dollar must be saved. Everything must be squirreled away. For example, if you're getting a child tax credit check in the mail, which you might be getting if you qualify through the end of the year, or if you had stimulus checks that came your way, I would just tell women that your health and happiness matters too. It should be a line item on your family budget. And if it means that you don't go see every new movie that's out in theaters that the kids want to see, or you don't get the the new wardrobe for back to school, the entire new wardrobe. I know for my mom, that was always like, 
she would go into debt just getting us those back to school clothes because it just felt like that's what a good mom would do. But I would say put yourself on that budget and your kids. For me, as a mom, I think about all the time the greatest gift I can give my son isn't even money. It's a happy mom. I get emotional thinking about it because the happiest I ever was with my growing up was when my mom was out of a bad marriage, living her best damn life, doing her online dating, telling her teenage daughter way too many details about that online dating life, and just having fun and doing things that she wanted to do, you know? And I think when you're a happy mom, you just have to think of that being an investment in your children as well. Mm. Oh, I love that message. I got goosebumps. Me too. Also, it's 20 <laughs> degrees in my basement, so that has something to do with it too. I love it. All right, Mandy. So what advice do you have to give someone who is maybe thinking about turning their side hustle into their dream job, but is just overwhelmed with the logistics of how to get started? Oh, God. Analysis paralysis. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's one of them. (laughs) I always like a good, oh, I started my business because I was laid off or I started my business because my partner left me like some sometimes the universe just makes decisions for you and they just get put you in a position where you have to turn your side hustle I think it's harder and I was just talking to a really good girlfriend of mine who works in publishing and she's published several books but she works in publishing as a marketer and she's like I love my team I love my job I want to be a writer full-time but I'm comfortable like I think it's harder a lot harder when you are earning a good salary, you like your colleagues, I think that's when it's challenging. Yeah. (laughs) As far as, and so that's kind of who I'm speaking to here. If you want to think about taking your side hustle full time, I think, one, you have to make sure that your financial house is in order. Make sure that define, almost define how much you think you'll need before you can turn your side hustle into a job and then give yourself a deadline. Like actually put a date on the calendar. Because you have a hard job, you have to make the decision for yourself. It's not like it's not just going to be foisted upon you. And be thoughtful about it. Create your I'm ready to quit number. And as far as like all the nuts and bolts, like I said, I don't have it all figured out. I know I need to make money. I know I need a business checking account. I know I need a business credit card. Like I know I need an accountant probably. But I'm figuring it out day by day and trying to take it easy on myself. Yeah. Taking that pressure off of yourself is such an important message. And the fact that you can figure this out as you go along, y'all. As long as you have some basic building blocks in place, you have replicated your success in some ways, and you've kind of proven to yourself that this idea can grow. I think you're in a really good spot. And then all the nuance shit that you can figure that out later. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I asked this to all of my guests. What is your money mantra? I've never really until recently had a money mantra, but, and this maybe isn't just specific to money, but, and you kind of shared it on your Instagram this morning, actually. And that's why I was just, ah, this is everything, (laughs) Janice. There will be more money or Mm. there is enough money. And you could like insert any other subject into that sentence. There will be more opportunities. There is space for you just because someone is on, someone has a book or someone has just gone viral on TikTok, or someone just scored a huge sponsorship for their show or someone, whatever it may be, someone got a promotion or got married. Like it does not mean that that there's less of those juicy things for you. There is enough money for everybody. 
I truly believe that. And if there's not, you know what the government does? They just make it, apparently. That's what <laughs> happened during the pandemic. There's enough money. There's enough time, you know, for you to, we all hope and pray there's enough time. But that's what I think. I just try to think from a space of just because something has worked out for someone else, if they have something, I almost get more excited about it because it yeah. means that it's achievable. It means that, oh, I could do that too. And I think once you start to repeat that to yourself, it makes things like scrolling through social media not as painful and it helps you get inspired versus feeling less than or feeling yeah. like you're not doing something right. And I would just say it sounds very granola-y and, and corny, but <laughs> it's that abundance, baby. It's like Janice's podcast is doing amazing. It doesn't mean that Brown Ambition isn't. It can all be true at the same time. And I think that that point of view is what's helped me build great relationships in my professional and my personal life and keeps me going. Like there's always yeah. going to be more money, but I got to go get it. You know, <laughs> exactly. I love that perspective shift. That's so important. Mandy, this has been an amazing conversation. I am so rooting for your success and just enjoying Thank watching you. the glow up for folks that want to find <laughs> out more about you, follow your journey. Where's the best place for us to find you? Yeah, you can find me on TikTok. I'm at Mandy Money with three A's because somebody already took Mandy Money. Um, she can also hit me up on Instagram. I'm at Mandy Money on Instagram or MandyMoney.com. That's Mandy with an I. Which I love it. Plenty of friends of mine still get wrong. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> my cousin spelled my name wrong on her wedding invitation. And I'm just like, ma'am, you're oh. lucky if I show up to this shit because that is offensive. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Just, you so like, much. Knock a hundred bucks off the gift, maybe. Yeah, like yeah, I'm sorry, you, you did that to yourself, but <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for being here, Mandy, and definitely check out the Brown Ambition podcast. It's fabulous. I tune in every week, and I just can't wait to see what you continue to create in your space. So thank you. Thank you so much for giving me space to share my story. This really means a lot to me, and I'm so excited that Yokeda Dinero is blowing up, and that <laughs> you are doing so well. I can't wait to see what happens next for you too. Thank you. I appreciate you. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. 
That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.